bel come tu i neurosis Hear what I say, we are the business today Fuck shit is finished today All T&J, need a new PB&J We dropped the classic today We did a tablet of asses today Lit joints with the matches and ashes away We dash away, Donna and Dixon The pistol is rattling away Doctors of death, killing our patients of breath We are the pain you can trust Fuck it, it work Fucking up curses and slurs, smoking my brain in a mush. I became famous for blaming you fucks, maiming my way through the brush. There was no training or taming of me and my bra. Live like a man, but I'm animal raw. We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have power to push, now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Welcome into Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And this is, did it click over, the personality episode. <laughs> We're talking all about personalities today. Mm-hmm. I feel like that, like a psychological podcast has had that title. Today we'll be talking about personality. Today we're going to talk about personality. But wow. our um, overview of the episode, we saw the movie Split, M. Night Shyamalan's latest film. Which and, is about a person with multiple personalities, split personalities. Which is a really rare disorder. Yeah, as the movie suggests, many people don't even, even like scientists don't even believe it's real. Interesting. And then our album was Run the Jewels 3 from the supergroup Run the Jewels. And our beer of the week is Me, Myself, and IPA. I want to sort of defend the Run the Jewels pick, though, with personality. I think it sort of goes with the movie split because if you know Run the Jewels, they're a hip-hop group, and there's two guys, uh, Killer Mike and MLP. And they sort of work off each other like they're like two heads in the same shoulder almost. So to like two sides of a personality. I felt that, that it worked. Well, I agreed with it. Okay, cool. I just I, wanted to explain. Well, no, and I, I think that if you look at like Killer, and we'll get into this though, but if you look at Killer Mike's career, LP's career, they weren't doing super huge things. But when they got together, it was a monster. Right. Technically a super group, but... Right. Well, they've be- at least they've become a super group. Yeah. In subsequent years. Yeah. So our beer of the week, me, myself, and IPA from Pearl Street Brewery in the lovely La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, whether it's just you and yourself or yourself and others, there's no better company than this IPA. This beer is brewed from for the hop lover with more than two pounds of our favorite hops per barrel. There's something to be said when they say there must be something in the water. Besides using the best malts and the hops we could find, La Crosse's award-winning artisan water Makes this beer even more delicious. Artesian, measured. even. Would artesian. you would, would you say artisan or artesian? I say artisan. Okay, I like artesian. Artesian. Yeah. But it's a six point seven percent ABV oh. and only fourteen IBUs. Fourteen. So it says her. This is an IPA and it's only fourteen IBUs. That's pretty low, actually. That doesn't seem right. What a bunch of lying liars. I'm Googling this, me, myself, and IPA. I don't think I've, uh, I, ca- I can't actively remember having another Pearl Street beer. So I don't know about you. I think I first, no, I first ran into them at a brew fest. Hmm. And that's where I first came across there. Well, it doesn't say, um, beer advocate, what the IBU is. I'm going to look at Rate Beer, which is a somewhat more comprehensive. I'm looking at their website. 
IBU 60, according to this, which makes way more sense for an, for an IPA. PearlStreetBrewery.com. That's, that's not, a misprint, I that's think. That's got to be a misprint. 14 IBUs, that's like a stout. <laughs> it doesn't smell like 14 IBUs. No, it says 60 on this one. I think they goofed. We should call them and be like, hey, let's call them live on the podcast and be like, yo. Hey. Your webmaster goofed. We could. I bet you we'd get like a, at least a coaster or a koozie. Sorry. I always mess up koozie, koozies and coasters. Mm, it's a good IPA. Yeah, it is. It's good stuff. Very basic for the style. <clears throat> black lab on the bottle mm-hmm. or puppy it's got black a kind of um something kind of um this is going to sound bad but it's not something kind of like soapy about it i don't know could be the water they use it's good but it has a sort of a crispness to it that that's unusual for an ipa like it's a it's a it's it's clean but it has like this weird like refreshing crispness crispness to it is that just me? Am I going crazy? No, I get where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. And I would describe it as like a pop. Like it's, in a, it's hard to explain. It's like a super clean IPA. Yeah. Mm, it's nice. It's very, it's filtered, it's clearly. Super, yeah, right. So right. Mm-hmm. It's good. I'm a fan. Some people have a problem with that. So, whoa. so uh, wavy hands. Shout out to Pearl Street, Street Brewery. Brewery. Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Wisconsin is people Wisconsin. who aren't from Wisconsin. Psh, say it. They don't know what they're talking about. That's right. I'm going to check this crap in on Untapped right now because I always forget. And I always forget too. So, on to our definition while Ethan checks in that beer. Uh, personality is a noun, it's the combination of characteristics or qualities that form an individual's distinctive character, what makes you you. Uh, it's also a famous person, especially in entertainment or. Sports. So what does personality mean to you? Well, I think personality is, is awesome because it's, in a lot of ways, what makes you know human beings so, so distinct is that we all have personalities. And at least um, in our immediate sort of perception of those around us, our personalities are generally pretty unique, even as the whole, I think most people in the world are incredibly unlike one another, and there's layers of personalities, and you could go into why that is, blah, blah, blah. But I think... You know, having a personality is sort of what distincts us from a lot of other things, and that can be both a good and a bad thing from our own perspectives. I like to think a lot about and read a lot about things like human beings' place on the planet and in the world. You know, there's different perspectives. There's the more religious, spiritual belief that, you know, human beings are, are, aren't necessarily of the earth, but they were created on the earth or they're, they're sort of sentient but then there's the more sort of naturalist view that we're just another species, right? And if you look at things from that perspective, uh, the species perspective, that a personality is almost a detriment, that us having personalities gives us this sort of inherent ego, this sort of view that we 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 value ourselves over everything else and we therefore sort of elevate ourselves to a higher level. And that isn't necessarily a good thing because it gives us an incent- a sense of entitlement over everything else in the world that may not inherently exist and so that's something i i thought about um and i thought the movie split kind of did a neat job of showing how sort of you know flaccid and pointless of personality can be and that it asks some questions about like what how real is a personality like what really is it that makes us us so i like to think about stuff like that so that's what i yeah that was deep man that was good (laughs) 
No, for and for me, I I, I kind of go back to the thought of like uniqueness. I think everyone thinks like, well, I have a personality. I'm very unique, but in reality, I think personalities can be grouped into like certain like segments. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are, if not, they're not necessarily the same. You're not a clone of somebody, but you're tremendously, tremendously close to other people and like personality wise. Like right. you and I, I think could probably find if we wanted to. I don't know about in Appleton, but like maybe in another city you could go and test everybody's personality and you'd find out that there's like 60 to 70 people that are almost identical to you and how you think, act, talk, and do a lot of different things. But I think looks are a little more like differentiating than personality. I think that, you know, in terms of, I think personality, I mean, it is something that I agree with you feeds into human beings' egos and saying, like, I'm unique and I'm this different person, but you're kind of the same. Right. Well, I mean, th- I mean, our, our whole, I think on some level our whole point is us sort of convincing ourselves that we're so important. So that, special. Uh, this this yeah. is so, like, this personality is so important, which there's anything wrong with. Um, I just think it's kind of fun to take a step back from that and analyze it. But, you know, at the same with the whole thing about giving people personality tests in, in air quotes, like what tests though? Because there's so many different personality tests. I like the uh, what is it? The Meyer Briggs is that one mm-hmm. with like the INFT and all that crap. Yep. I think that's maybe the most comprehensive one, and th- and that's pretty interesting to me because it's not one you just take these ten questions and we'll tell you your personality. No, it's like you need like three hours to answer all to the questions. It. Yep. You need to be honest, not answer how you think somebody else wants to hear, but an- answer honestly. Um. Yeah, it's interesting stuff for sure. It is. Those are interesting, too. I've actually taken the Myers-Briggs, and it doesn't give you, like, a middle ground. All the questions are either four answers or two. Yeah. So it never gives you the ability to uh, kind of say, well, maybe. But, right. yeah. Right. It's mm-hmm. cool. Very interesting stuff. So on to our high-priority news items. Uh, Fox has ordered the X-Men TV show pilot episode, another comic book TV show. Mm-hmm. Another one out there. That's right. So... I kind of there's a show that I've been seeing trailers for during uh, sport uh, football games in the last couple of weeks called Legion. Yes, that I thought was an X Men show. I thought, and actually, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Alex, and he just I think this was just a week ago. We saw a, a poster of it, and he was like, "Is that like an X Men thing?" Well, because it looks like the same concept, and there's even on an the, X. There's like an X in the O. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if maybe I have, I don't I've never seen it so I don't know but um apparently this is an official X Men show I don't know when it's going to take place I, I read through the article and it sounds like they have a pretty solid script idea so you know I think we we talked about it before since we reviewed Deadpool last year but uh, X Men movies to me are sort of the superhero the pop the you know the superhero movies that I'm least sort of inundated with i've only seen most of the movies at once and very recently so i'm kind of passively interested in this but it's certainly following a trend yeah so not surprising no not at all i think this was especially with the popularity of tv shows and um well this won't be an instant release but you know it's something they should do i'm I'm very curious about legion though yeah because i thought for sure because it looks like they're super hero yeah, something about their characters. brains evolved and they have abilities. X-Men. X-Men. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess it's a pretty broad concept because uh, wasn't there... Oh, well, the show Heroes, of course, that was popular in the like the early to mid-2000s was a show. And it was like more, more than mid-2000s. That show got a lot of criticism for 
very clearly taking the concept of X-Men and sort of creating its own mythos. Which, but it's not, it's not exactly like the most thought-provoking premise ever. It's not. You, you kind of <laughs> have to like heroes, though, a little bit. Yeah, I sort of had a revelation when I was watching all the X-Men movies. It was uh, The movie I had the revelation during was X-Men First Class, which is like the prequel movie. And there's a scene where they're introducing like all these side ones. And there's like one with like fairy wings and this dude who creates like these like these red discs that he can like decapitate people with. And I sort of realized that in other superhero mythos, like somebody like, and you know, in Marvel, let's go to Marvel, like X-Men technically is Marvel, but let's go to the Marvel universe mm-hmm. of movies as it exists. You look at people like Spider-Man, you know, uh, Iron Man, any of those people, they're not, they're not, they're not necessarily specialized superheroes. They're, they sort of have their areas of strength, but they're very capable in a lot of ways. But the revelation I had was that the X-Men are all very like specialized superheroes. Yeah. It's like, I have fairy wings. That's a very very specialized ability. Yeah. <laughs> and there's very few characters in that series that have like overarching, like Wolverine obviously has a more interesting story, Magneto, um, Professor X. <clears throat> and I'm not sure if this show is going to be about them. Yeah. You'd kind of think so. It's in, the, well, it's in the pilot segment, which is kind of the, yeah. it's kind of like the BC era of TV shows. Really, when you think about it, it's like, that's like their, when you see a pilot, it's always a little bit different from the other episodes. Oh, yeah. Except for Lost. Yeah, that's true. That's one that they knew what was going on. Well, it's because they're geniuses. That's right. Big Lost fans here. <laughs> mad, yeah. Roses. Mad, mad love for Lost on this show. <laughs> and also Twin Peaks. I, I actually read about this. I was pretty excited. It was announced that a few years, a few years ago that the cult show was going to come back. Um, it was on originally 1990, 1991, and it's going to be returning for a third season on Showtime, so you do have to get the premium cable channels or just steal it. Um, and it's we do known, not advocate We that. don't advocate that at all. Uh, but it's known that in May, uh, new episodes will premiere. It's going to be an 18-episode limited run, um, and much of the cast returning, which is amazing, along with David Lynch uh, himself, his return as a creative force for the new series. Yeah, and they have, if you go on Wikipedia, and I think the press release they released, there's a list of quote-unquote new characters, and it's got the list of all the actors in it. And it's literally like 75 people it's everybody from like amanda seafried to trent reznor it's insane all all of the the people who are going to be in the show and i think anybody who's familiar with david lynch or the show twin peaks which again was on you know over 20 years ago which seems unbelievable to me but uh nobody knows what this 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 new season is going to be like because Twin Peaks was sort of a phenomenon in a fit day if you read about it. It was like a, it was a kind of a rare syndicated cable show that had an overarching story about it started with this murder mystery and they sort of very excuse me very quickly solved the murder mystery. And the reason the show the reason Twin Peaks got canceled so quickly despite its initial popularity was that David Lynch is weird. His movies are weird. We've previously re- reviewed like Mulholland Drive, but he said, I never wanted Twin Peaks to be about this murder mystery. I wanted it to be about this weird, idiosyncratic town with the weirdest people and the weirdest things happening and all this, you know, horror-related stuff and science fiction-related stuff and, like, comedy and all this. And as soon, so as soon as that's what he started getting into, people stopped watching it because they, were, they didn't get it. But, of course, over the last two decades, it's grown in popularity immensely and of course it's back now and i think we can say with certainty that this 18 run series of twin peaks is going to be weird mm-hmm. totally well i think like um social media and a lot of that gave birth to and it, like kind of 
unearthed a lot of like cult classics and really gave like the the movement legs in a lot of ways. So this is a, a perfect example of that. It's mm-hmm. good. I've, I've seen both both seasons. Yep, it's on Netflix. I highly recommend it. I think it's an awesome show, and uh, I'm a big David Lynch fan, so I'm there for this. Yeah, I will be as well. So when we come back on our personality episode, we're going to review our movie of the week, uh, Split, the newest M. Night Shyamalan movie. I can actually say his name Mm -hmm. versus other names that I can't say. So anyhow, we'll be right back with Weekly Neurosis, the personality episode. Pardon me, sir. I think you have the wrong car. What are we doing here? What the hell is going on? I was sent to get you for a reason. There's a flower on the pillows, a flower in the bathroom. Like, we're important. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. We're here! Help us! We're in here! Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows what you're here for. He listens to me. All right, welcome back into Weekly Resumption. I'm Ethan. It's time for Movie of the Week. Boom. So the movie we are discussing this week is Split. Split. Okay, so this movie is... All right, let me break down the plot for everybody. Uh, An outing takes a sinister turn for three teenagers, who I won't name their names right now, when they are kidnapped by a ruthless stranger and imprisoned in his basement. They soon learn that their captor has multiple personality disorder, forcing them to plot their escape without ever knowing which of his 23, 23 personas, young or old, male or female, benign or monstrous, they will confront on the way out. So this movie stars James McAvoy, Anya Taylor-Joy, Haley Lou Richardson, Betty Buckley, Sebastian Arkelos, and Brad William Henke. So this movie was directed and written by M. Night Shyamalan, of M. Night Shyamalan fame. <laughs> Music was done by West Dylan Thordson. Cinematography was done by Mike Giolakis. And editing was done by Luke Franco Ciarochi. Ciarochi? Don't know. So this movie was filmed entirely in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, although you wouldn't really know it because it's pretty set in... Ambiguous. Yeah, pretty ambiguous settings. All right, and some fun notes about this movie that I thought were interesting. Joaquin Phoenix was originally set to star in the film, but a contract agreement could not be reached, I believe due to scheduling conflicts, which I have a theory on that we can talk about later. And this is not the first time James McAvoy has played somebody with multiple personality disorder. The first time was in the 2013 movie entitled Fifth. So Hmm. check that out. He's like a rounder. (laughs) You know, let's be real. He apparently has no range. (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, so Nate, what did you think of Split? I really liked it. It was It's a very entertaining movie. It's very, I will say, very, very different from how it's advertised. I was going in expecting kind of a horror-type setting, and it's it's way different than that. Not surprising um, for an M. Night Shyamalan No, movie. not at all. They never know how to advertise his movies. <laughs> I don't think so. I think they should just like have his name up on the 
screen that just says M. Light Shyamalan movie and then just flash the... You could do... You could, I would say that, but you remember for he there was probably a decade where his name was associated with terrible movies. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's redeemed himself, but I yeah. agree. You should just be like, this is an M. Night Shyamalan movie. You should probably see it. M. Night Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan. With just <laughs> pictures of... Am, just totally ridiculous pictures of the movie, but... Anyway, sorry. No, but I, I really like this film. Um, acting, I thought was pretty solid. Um, I thought the plot came along pretty well, but overall, solid. And I think he kind of, like you said, he had such a long string of bad films that I think he at least stepped in the right direction with this film. Well, I think the movie he did either, I think it was last year or the year before, The Visit sort of showed that he was stepping away. Because let's be real, you know, people hated The Happening and Lady in the Water, but even those, I think, have respectively found somewhat of a cult following. The movies of his that are unmitigated disasters were after earth and the last airbender and that's where he was stepping into the blockbuster world which isn't meant for him so the visit in split here i mean he's definitely stepping back into territory that he's he's good at for sure but no but i'm with you i really like this movie i thought it was uh surprisingly just kind of strange and weird it's a hard it's sort of a tough movie to totally categorize because it's just so bizarre you're right. It, it does have that horror, suspense, dark element. There's a lot of really great suspense and some scary moments in this movie. But almost for the first 30 minutes of the movie, I wasn't sure what was going on. And kind of in, in, a, in a good way because it's going back and forth from, I mean, it gets the kidnapping stuff. Literally, the first thing seen in the movie is him kidnapping these three girls. And then it sort of jumps around to like these flashbacks from one of the three girls who's kidnapped and um, him visiting his psychologist that you sort of learn more about throughout the movie. And it's just kind of a weird jump back and forth of these scary scenes to like these almost funny scenes and these weird mysterious scenes. Yeah. It's just a very oddly paced movie that I, for me worked really well because I was hooked and I had to. It was such a mysterious and I thought well-made movie. This really showed how M. Night Shyamalan excels at these kind of strange little stories. And mm-hmm. even the way he uses the camera and stuff is very unique. We can talk yeah. more about that later. But that too, I was kind of surprised at how dark it was. Like, I mean, the story does progress in a way and from the flashbacks and a few other things, not really spoiling anything. It does kind of, it's not so much a thriller as it is kind of dark. I mean, it has the typical kind of, you, know, you have to say M. Night Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan fame um, moments where it's like kind of the frantic rush scene. But other than that, I mean, there's some pretty, they deal with some pretty heavy, heavy stuff in this movie. Right, I think that at least in the in this movie's been out for not even a week yet. Um, I think in the in the immediate response you're going to see this movie is, of course, the M Night Shyamalan twist, which we won't spoil. But there is a twist in this, although it's not. And this is a credit to Mr. Shyamalan that I was expecting a twist, but he surprised me with the twist because it's not a twist like I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say anything else because uh, I, I think if. You know, you're familiar with Mr. Shamlon's work. This might really surprise you where, where it goes. But um, I think that sort of is a testament to how he really, he's not, he isn't a one-trick pony. He's really made a strong movie here. Like, I agree with you entirely. The performances here are great. There's not a lot of performances. It's really mostly James McAvoy, who you can tell is just having a blast with this movie. Because mm-hmm. he gets to play so many different performances or characters, basically. Some of them are more funny and goofy, and some of them are very like scary and serious, and it's kind of sort of hard to predict yeah, where he's coming. It's kind of from. like an actor's delight. It is, you know? like, yeah. He probably loved this. Oh role. yeah, totally. But then again, I'll shout out Anya Taylor Joy, who was in my favorite movie of the year last year, The Witch. She was awesome here. She, obviously, not as dynamic as James McAvoy, but 
really putting anybody up against his character, and this is unfair. <laughs> well, and I thought she she fit really well in mm-hmm. like where where the story was going. The other two characters who are the the juniors, you could call them. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was three people like the other two, it would have been really boring. But I thought yeah. I felt like she was a really good change of pace, and it was just kind of one of those things where it just kind of fit right. Right. You know. They do a great job of fleshing out her background and you sort of see as the movie plays out why she is acting the way she is and how it sort of fits into the overall story and I thought it was very clever. Yeah, and definitely her character is is the most fleshed out because if it, yeah, if they were just three dumb teenage girls sort of unfortunately like the sucked. other two were. Yeah, yeah it would have been just another movie, but uh, that's what I wanted to say before that I think that a lot of the twisty stuff in this movie is sort of going to at least in for now, sort of take away from how good some of the storytelling is in this movie that people are going to talk about the ending more than anything else in the movie until it can be reanalyzed because I do think this movie is going to age well. Uh, and I almost think that getting the first viewing out of the way is good so you know what the twist is. It totally reframes, not necessarily reframes the rest of the movie, you just look at it in a slightly different way. Um, but then again, a, a negative I, I do have because sort of has to do with the twist and it's Hard to talk about because we don't want to spoil it, but it's one of those things where I think the best way we could put it is that you'll either understand the twist or you won't. Yeah, and we were just upstairs talking to my wife, and she didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. I kind of got it to some point, but even still, I had to like go like, "Well, I need to look at this." So then yes. I got home and I researched it, and I was like, "Okay, that then that's what I thought it was." Right, and I th- I think that's why it's going to age better because I think it's going to people are going to become more aware of what it's getting at and, and where it's going to go. It's hard to talk about. It but, is, because it's very distinct. But there, I'll be honest, there was a couple of moments near the end of this movie where the action was really picking up, where I was kind of thinking, there was a couple of moments where I kind of thought to myself, like, really? This is so over the top. It just doesn't feel like it fits, like it doesn't work. But again, that last 20-second scene in the movie, I was like, oh, shit. It all works. It all works. Um, hmm. So I thought that was really strong, but um, I, I think it's going to be sort of hit or miss for some for some people. Because, yeah. again, Mr. Shyamalan has been around for a long time. He's made movies for a long time. And, uh, you know. He's been around for a minute. He has been. But I think, I, I think this is a good, like, step in the right direction for him in, in terms of the movies he's made. Yeah. And, and the visit, I, you know, I enjoyed the visit. The others were not that great. You know, they just kind of lacked something. But he's got—he's clearly gifted. Like well, that's the thing. He was sort of—he was sort of handed a shit card because you know after he did the Sixth Sense back in what ninety-eight, mm-hmm. and I mean that movie—he was in for best director at the Oscars. That was in for best picture. It was this big deal. And you know the movie Unbreakable came out after that, which at the time was seen as a d- disappointment. Which is—it's gained a much bigger cult following. Uh, Signs was a big hit. The Village was controversial. That's personally my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. But uh, you kind of, his career has been sort of unfortunate. And that's why I love this upswing he's had with The Visit in this movie. Because, you know, it, it, let's take a step back from the twist and sort of the overall thing that's going on. This is just a really exciting little thriller movie that has mm-hmm. strong characters, solid acting, Great ambience, like I was saying before, his use of the camera is really interesting, just like odd angles, a lot of sort of point of view stuff and tons of like really extreme close-ups that makes makes things sort of uncomfortable. It's just M. Night Shyamalan has, you know, you can love or hate him, but to me he's a very, he's clearly got a good eye for this stuff. Yeah. He's got a very distinct well, feeling. And, and there's a scene, and this doesn't spoil anything, where a character is in a small space 
and mm-hmm. and they do a very good job by just the angle of the camera of anyone who's been locked in a closet or is you know hidden in a closet like knows that feeling and mm-hmm. that the angle of the camera makes you kind of feel that and there's a ton of that with just the angles that they shoot hallways and cl- small spaces and large spaces and the the scene of a majority of the movie is kind of this creepy basement place yeah that and they do a re- they did a really good job of a lot of like the chase scenes too. Oh yeah, it Super seems intense. like every character runs through the same hallway, and it's just they do such a good job of making you think like anytime they're walking down this hallway, something like game over. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought smart, it, and I think what to, for me what made this movie so strong is I, I think the cornerstone is James McAvoy's character, which I can't really say has a name because it's really different personalities, but um. The character is just so interesting, and it builds this sort of mythology about that we kidnap these girls because you're, we're the you know, if you've seen the trailer, he talks about the beast is coming to get you, and it's so strange, and it's so, like, kind of creative and imaginative, and I, I love where it goes. It really goes the distance, and that's another thing. This movie has a lot of balls with, with uh, some of the choices it makes with some of the characters and how things end and, and, and stuff to me was not something you would see in a, a normal PG 13 thriller horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's got some balls to it. I think this is a gutsy movie for him in a lot of ways, but it's also sort of like a, you know, guys, I'm still here. I still can make cool movies. Just give me a shot. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, uh, you know, cons, I guess I, t- I talked about how it took me a little bit to get into it just because it's such a weird movie. Mm-hmm. It's just I've never really seen sort of a combination of scenes like this before. It took me a little bit to get into it. But when I did, it really worked. And then, again, I think the twist for me sort of made the movie. It sort of made everything fall into place. But I think if you're not uh, sort of on board with other things or you're not aware of some other things, this movie might... The twist might be, you might just be like left with a big question mark at the end. What? So do some research. Do it. And I can't wait for in like three months where we can talk about the the ending of this openly so I can yell what you have to do in order to enjoy the twist ending. <laughs> what would you rate this though? One to 10. It's a tough one. I, I you know, when I wrote my notes, I was going to give it a 7.5, but the more I've thought about it, I listened to some reviews and I had a conversation with a lady I work with today. I'm going to give it an eight. I thought this was a really strong thriller movie with awesome performance. We said it. It's a, it's a solid little movie. So I'm going to mm-hmm. give it an eight. All right. How about you? I'm going to say a 7.5. Nice. Kind of close to you. I thought, again, same thing. Solid. Inter- I thought it was entertaining, all things considered. Do your homework. We can't say what to do your homework on yet. It's kind of strange. But Anybody who's listening to us who hasn't seen it is like, what the what fuck the, what are, are you talking, talking about? about? But it's like the end of the movie, which make kind of ties everything together, could make no sense to you whatsoever. That's, and that's to me is a, a big, like, that was like a one or two point deduction. Because it's like, you know, if you didn't eh. see... Yeah, I don't care about that. I can only talk about can, my own reaction, yeah. man. And and my thing, my thing was with the end of this movie was... I was surprised because there really isn't a twist, but there is. And to me, he surprised, he, like, you know, everybody, that's the joke. You see an M. Night Shyamalan movie, you expect a twist. So I was expecting a twist and I got a twist, but it wasn't even close to what I was thinking it was going to be. And not in like a traditional, well, I guessed it wrong kind of way. Just that I've never really kind of seen an a, a director sort of take a risk with an ending like this in such an, like a, an, a forward way. And the movie was a huge, we'll talk about this later. It was a big hit. 
successfully. Blumhouse Productions, by the way. Um, Jason. So uh, <laughs> sponsor us. Done really well. I mean, I, I was really excited about this movie. I thought it was great, but it was funny because my my reaction leaving the theater was actually similar to The Witch, where I was like, "Man, I don't know what what." Like, I was just sort of like, are you serious? What? But then as I thought about it all day, I was like, fuck, yeah, it was sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, like, for me, it's a, how how much do you downgrade a film for not being, like, relatable? You know, because essentially we've talked about how a filmmaker is tasked with, yes, making a marketable film, but it's kind of their own statement. So it's like, you know. Right. Because you hear people criticize directors for, oh, well, you're making this movie for an audience. But you also hear, well, you're just making this movie for yourself. It's like, well, what do you want? No, there's no middle ground. A director can do whatever the hell they want. They're not, not most directors aren't asking that their audiences love their movie. They're doing what they think is right or wrong. Yeah. So into our high priority news items, the Academy Awards are out. So Oscar season has reached fever pitch. It's here. Mm-hmm. Um, La La Land scored a massive 14 nominations, making it the third movie to reach that number of nominations. The other two are All About Eve and Titanic. Uh, Arrival and Moonlight both scored a huge number with eight, so good mm-hmm. for them. I think Manchester by the Sea got six. I think that was one of the most. But yeah, La La Land, 14 nominations. For me, not super surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, boom, 14. Boom. That's, Four, a that's a lot. Of, that's a whole mess of numbers. So it has the opportunity to win at least. If it were to sweep, it would still only win 13. Is that confusing? Yes. Why? Because it's dominated twice in one category. Whoa. It's in for two best songs of the year. So even if it won every one of its awards, it would still lose one. Kinda. Interesting. <laughs> the movie's so good, we nominated it twice. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I liked La La Land. I didn't love it. I really want to watch it again. But it's one of those movies that I can see why people love it. It's just it didn't speak to me personally. Mm-hmm. But... Ooh, awesome movie. Awesome but, movie. So do we want to go through some of the major Yeah, categories? we'll go through the, the, the biggest category, of course, is Best Picture, and the nominees are... Oh, I'm Jesus. Kidding. I'm not going to do that. Uh, Rival Fences, Hexar Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La, and La La Land. Nope. And Lion, and Manchester by the Sea, <laughs> and Moonlight. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it. Actually, um, believe it or not, Fences, I watched Inside the Actors Studio for the first time in a long time. Fences? Um, well, no, it was uh, Vi- Viola Davis was yeah. on Inside the Actors Studio, and she gave a very good interview about the film. Which film? Fences. Fences, okay. And she was totally spoiler-free, which I thought was super cool, but she did a really good job of kind of explaining the film. It's on my watch list this weekend. Yeah. I've seen all but three of these. I haven't seen Hidden, Figure, Hidden Figures, Fences, or Lion. Um, and I think... There's no real surprises here. Um, Hidden Figures is maybe the the one I was surprised to see, but not not totally. I think La La Land will win this handily. In a, in a long shot, Moonlight might spoil, but I think you could put all your money on La La Land here. Yeah, just put your put one and two together. It's about Hollywood. It's a musical. It's won every award. It's in for fourteen Oscars. It's gonna win Best Picture. Yeah. So. That is how it is. So, actor in a leading role, uh, we have Casey Affleck from Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield from Axel Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, which I've not seen. I'm very interested in that film. Uh, Denzel Washington for Fences. Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of a two-horse race. I think either Casey Affleck or Denzel will win this, and I'm leaning towards Casey Affleck if for no other reason than he's won pretty much everything else. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I'm kind of disappointed. I knew it was going to happen. I, I wish Andrew Garfield would have been nominated for Silence, which that movie blew me away. I thought he was better in that. But Silence only got one Oscar nomination overall, so clearly the Academy didn't agree with me on that one. They're like, nah. <laughs> nah be, no, but uh, he was good. But I think Casey Affleck will probably win, right? Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. I haven't seen any of these films. I'll see well, him if as Denz- a- So if Denzel wins, he would have won twice, right? Because he won for Training Day, like, what, 2001, 2002? Yeah. So he'd be a two-timer. Viggo Mortensen has never won. He's been nominated before for uh, Eastern Promises. What is Captain Fantastic about? No idea, but I'm going to watch it before the Oscars. Yeah, that's the thing. I need to do that. Can I do one? Yeah, go ahead. Cool. Okay, so the next one we'll talk about is Actress in a Leading Role. This one had, to me, two sort of surprises. And one, this was the only category that I thought there was a major surprise in. So Isabel Huppert for L. Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone for La La Land, and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. Um, I, uh, Amy Adams isn't here, and that's disappointing to me. And, and of course, Meryl Streep is in here, which is, shouldn't surprise anybody. This is her 20th Oscar nomination. Damn. So that's pretty nuts. Um, now, this, mean, this means I actually have to sit and watch this stupid movie that I have yeah, no interest in. I was in majorly seeing. upset that Amy Adams was nominated personally. I am too. I, I thought she, you know, I haven't seen, shit, I've only seen one of these movies. But, um, you know, Emma Stone was good, but I, even with her, I know, this is no slight to her. I, I've seen female performances that were better than hers in La La Land, in my opinion. Ooh. I don't think she, I don't think she was, like, mind-blowingly good. She was good, but and neither was Ryan Gosling for the... The lead. Neither of them were. Well, like- I, I think that people, and I'll, I'll go on record as saying this because this is recording, um, but <laughs> but I think people are critiquing La La Land as a musical and not as a film. Like, well, I, and I, you have to. I'll oh, I don't give a shit a, about that. I'll critique it totally as a film and just. See, oh, I do. Are, are I you, do too. Yeah. Hey, hey, I, I can talk all the yang I want about La La Land. I would give it an eight point five out of ten. I think it's an awesome movie, but yeah. I just felt like it was entirely predictable there wasn't a single surprise in it it was so light that i just kind of didn't care i just didn't connect with it from a technical perspective it's a masterwork damien chazelle made this in an original musical with some of the most incredible technical like camera work and songs and all this crap that i've seen in a movie in a while but it just eh, it kind of felt too obvious for me and none of the performances were I didn't think for me they weren't Oscar mind-boggling, but I don't vote for this crap. There's what seven thousand Oscar voters. I'm not one of them. We got to get on that list. <laughs> How do we do it? Yeah. All right, and then actor in a supporting role, um, we have. Oh man, Marshala Ali yep. for Moonlight. Jeff Bridges for Hell or High Water. Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea. Dev Patel for Lion and Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals. Mm-hmm. Cool. cool Mar- Marshala Ali will win. Yeah. He should too. Incredible movie. Incredible. So let's do two more. We'll do how about best supporting actress and best director? Where's the best director? Okay. Okay, you do actress in a supporting role. Sorry. Jeez. <laughs> So we have Viola Davis for Fences, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, uh, Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures, and Michelle Williams for Manchester by the she- by the Sea. She's been nominated a few a bunch. times. She was in for 
she was in for My Weekend with Marilyn, right? Yep. Uh, Blue Valentine, I think yep. she was in for, and now this. I'll be honest, I didn't... She was in Manchester by the Sea for like two minutes. Like, she, this is one of those performances where she literally pops up in like two scenes in the movie. Yeah. And she was good, but... Uh. Well, she's kind of she's kind of done the... And I, I've, not, I've not seen the movie again, but she's kind of done like the townie girl character... A few times before. Then this isn't really like this that. This isn't like that. Hmm. It's there's a lot of a Manchester by the Sea. I, I will say I liked better than than La La Land. Um, it's a much heavier movie. <laughs> it's one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen, but it's good. Um, I'm really happy to see Naomi Harris for Moonlight. And I thought of all of these that I've seen, I haven't seen most of these movies. Um, she she was incredible. She played the mother of the main character, mm-hmm. and and she was amazing. But I I have an inkling that Viola 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 Davis will win for Fences. So good for her. Yeah, she's a great actress. It's actually pretty interesting. Like when you look at the uh, films that have been nominated, I don't know. Michelle Williams is is like white, but then there's three African-Americans and Naomi Kidman, who's an Australian-American. Well, yeah, the, the big uh, controversy last year was the Oscars so white, and, uh, you know, I don't think that's a problem this year. No, <laughs> but these are good movies, too. It's not... Well, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, guess, I guess there's going to be those people out there, and, and I was hoping that wouldn't happen that would say that, oh, well, they're just going to nominate people from different races because they have to. That was my fear, um, that they would do that, and they would sort of step outside of the bounds of film criticism to make that excuse. I, no way. I mean, all of these performances that I've seen deserve to be here, so I think that's a pretty weak argument. Um, and it's great. It's great to see a diversity among amongst these nominees. It's awesome. So can we do one more category? Directing. Directing. So the five directors in for best director are Denny Villanueva, Villeneuve, whatever, for Arrival. Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge, Damien Chazelle for La La Land, Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea, and Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. So very awesome category. Melly Gibbs is back in the Melly Gibbs in the Hollywood Insider group. Attaboy. <laughs> I think it's cool. I think yeah. it's great. Hacksaw Ridge really cleaned up with the nominations. So what a climb back for him, though. Yeah. Like honestly, no, it's, it's incredible. It's really incredible. And so I think Damien Chazelle will win. Barry Jenkins may be an upset. I'm going to say La La Land has a chance to win 11 or more Oscars. Got to see this film. Yeah, don't get too excited. <laughs> Documentary. Let's see how many no. have I seen. No, if you want to see the rest of the Oscar nominations, just Google them. They're out there. Uh, there's plenty of commentary going on about them. Plenty of people who are pissed off that their favorite movies didn't get nominated. I'll say this year compared to last year, it isn't from my personal top ten. I mean, one, two... Three only three movies that are in for best picture made my top ten. I haven't seen some of them yet though, so there's a chance that those sneak in. But um, you know, my absolute favorite movies of the year. I mean, The Witch wasn't in for anything. Rogue One is in for like one Oscar. Um, so the, not, not, well, the Star Wars movies don't they like? Ne- they never really do good aside from didn't the first one. Yeah, that was in for like eleven Oscars. It was in for best picture. Well, last year, Ro- uh, Force Awakens was in for like six or seven. They were all technical, but. I was kind of disappointed to see it. Uh, Rogue One didn't get in for best score, um, and the only nomination that Silence got was for cinematography. I think that's kind of a for me personally stepping back as the the movie lover. I think 
when you look at 2016 in movies, Silence is going to be one of the movies that people remember is, is one of the greats. And the fact that it's not in hardly anything here is is, is sort of a bummer to me because it's an awesome movie. Yeah. And I can't say it's because of the religious content because Hacksaw Ridge, I mean, is a very, very Christian movie that has a lot of, you know, ideologies in it. And so does Silence. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't connect with Silence. I really thought they would have. Might just been one of those things, you know. Yeah, they just didn't you like can pick it. Pick five, and then that was the sixth film. They were just like, wow. Well, there's nine in for best picture, which is again dumb. Why nine? Why don't just what about number ten? There's nine movies oh, in for best picture. Yeah. And then, then at least they can say with the film like it's an yes. Oscar nominee. Yeah, so that's film. just like oh, but whatever that we thought the tenth best movie was, f that movie. That's what they're saying. It's stupid. No, well that is a middle ground. I mean, Nine's based on ground. these nominations, what would have been there? Do you think? I would say probably Jackie, Nocturnal Animals. One of those two, I think, possibly would have popped in there. Yeah. Anyways. Hard to say. Mm -hmm. Awards. Basically meaningless. Oh, yeah. Totally. (laughs) But fun to track. They're super fun to track. So we and you this year are doing a a ballot where we... We pick, pick. Pick, submit our ballots to each other so we know we're not cheating and see who gets the most wins. I'm going to renominate someone. What? You just white. What do you mean? I'm going to put someone back in that I thought got screwed over last so who, year. Oh, Amy Adams? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you're really pissed off she's not nominated. <laughs> she's oh, been Mark, robbed. Or Mark Ruffalo. Are you still Mark, pick? yeah. I'm still pissed about that. That's a good Yeah, that's the one. Good. When they said Mark, I was like, Mark Fucking rub, and they're like Rylance, and I was like, no, that <laughs> <laughs> was a mess, and I'm a mess because Amy Adams didn't get nominated. No, you're, Ugh. Fine. you're fine. There are tears in my diary. Gross. So, um, onto our um, weekly segment by the numbers, where we do the top five or ten grossing films. Five, five. Oh, wow, messed it up. And the occasional flops do great. No flops this week, I don't think. No. Um, but I'll start it off with number five is the movie that's probably going to win like every award ever created. Uh, La La Land grossed a total of $8.4 million, bringing its total gross to $89.7 million on a $30 million budget. So doing really well. I think it's going to get a big bump, too, now that it got all these Oscar nominations. Yep. So I think it's very possible we'll see this in the top five next week. Yep. So number four was the number three movie the week before, which was Sing, which made $9 million on its... What weekend? It's fifth Fifth? weekend? Damn, fifth weekend. Holy crap. It's made a $249 million on a $75 million budget. What? So that's the one about all the singing critters, right? Singing animals. Wow. I didn't know it was so popular. It did like mega well. Holy crap, that's $250 million. See, this is what happens when we don't do an episode for like four weeks in a row. We're like, whoa. Whoa. People are like... Oh, by the way, Star Wars Rogue One... Is technically the highest grossing movie of 2016, and it made over a billion worldwide. Let's go on. Number three, Nate. Number three. Hidden <laughs> Figures from Fox Studios grossed a total of $15.7 million in its fifth week, bringing its total gross to $83.7 million on a $25 million budget. So It's really hanging in there. Major, and major successes in the top five. And I think that one is another one that's going to get a big bump from all these Oscar nominations. Yep. For sure. Cool. I'm excited to see that. I think it looks awesome. Uh, so my number two, uh, my number two, the number two movie of the box office was the brand new release, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, the, the most recent Vin Diesel vehicle. 
<laughs> which made $20.1 million, uh, which is its current domestic total on an $85 million budget. So, you know, doing out modestly well. I'm sure it'll make its, its moolah back. And this is the kind of movie that people are going to, like, buy in Blu-ray in droves. Yeah. It's going to be a big hit. What I'm confused by is why is the first X is lowercase, the second X is Because that's the tattoo on the back case. of his neck, isn't it? And he's like an X-Man. I only saw the first one like 10 years ago. He's like an uh, extreme sports dude. You know, he's got like a dirt bike and he's like jumping over exploding crap. Xander Cage. Yeah, and he's got the tattoo on his body somewhere. I don't know. Ask Vin Diesel. Vin, what's the deal with this? Vinny, Vinny what's the story, bro? He'd be like, I just want to be in a Blumhouse production. <laughs> uh, Speaking the, of <laughs> Blumhouse one. Productions. Oh, yeah. The number one film in America... Is split, bringing uh, with a total gross in its very first week of uh, almost an even forty million dollars. And I just looked it up on a budget of guess. Guess what the budget is? Ten million. Nine million. Oh, so close. Yeah, and that's that legendary Blum, Blumhouse low, low budget, high value. And the by the way, uh, the week before the Bye Bye Man came out, which had a budget of seven point four million and made like seventeen million its opening weekend, also a Blumhouse production. JB, JB in the hill. Yeah, buddy. Doing he just, he just he's got some science. He's got it. He's got it figured out. He does, but you know, it was, it was Split clearly shows to me that it makes as much that people are still into the Shyamalan thing. The Shyamalan. They marketed this movie really well. I think it had a, a unique premise people hadn't really seen in this way before. And, uh, you know, from the reaction in my theater and from some of the stuff I've read online, people are seeming to really dig this movie. So I think that's great. It's yep. done well. 40 mil. 40 million. That's right. On a $9 million budget. Incredible. So onto our weekly segment, there can only be one. All right, so last our last predictions I go back a few weeks to back in the day. Yeah, back to the, the second year week. was 1976. No, nope. I'm just kidding. The second week uh, that we had was uh, Rogue One was in the theaters. So, because we'd guessed the first week. Yep. And I think you got it right. Yeah, and it was there was a little bit of hope, and Nate fell. Right, because okay, so let me go through this. So. Basically, back when we made our predictions, we were guessing how much money Rogue One was going to make in its second week because we yep. both knew it was going to be number one, which it was. So I guessed seventy-five million, and Nate, you guessed a hundred and one, a hundred point one million. And the actual <laughs> the decimal and the actual was sixty-four million. So you know, you were a little, a little outside. I was a little over the two, but I was closer. So I do have to say. That I did win. You did win. So I do have six wins, and you have three, which means I get to guess. This week. For this week. Which, dun, dun, dun. this is tough. So now we're both going to guess what movie we think is going to be number one at the box office next week and how much we think it's going to make. And the only really major discernible release we have coming out is Resident Evil, the final chapter. But it's hard to say because Split's doing well. We're seeing this big bump for movies like Hidden Figures, La La Land, Moonlight's re-entering uh, the, the cinema, what do I think is going to be number one? That is tough too, because the, like the, when the Oscar nominations come out, if the movies are in theaters, people flood to them. So it could be like one of those weeks where it's like totally spread out. Okay, I'm going to guess Resident Evil: The Final Chapter. Writing this down, and I am going to guess that it's going to make 21 million. 
You know what? 22 million. Which would be an increase from the last movie that came out like five years ago. But just with the way these movies are lining up, what's out, what's coming out, it's hard. This is a tough week. Yeah. We could both be wrong on this easily. And I'm going to take your exact same number and I'm going to say split. You think split's going to repeat? Because I think that it's so spread out. I think split will. It's one of those weeks where it's going to get broken up, but I think split's getting good word of mouth. Yeah. I I think it's going to get about cut in half in terms of its... See, and that's where I have to say I don't think it's going to make 22 because a movie very rarely falls less than 50% from its week before. Rarely, but not. It doesn't happen. And with this week, it's going to be weird. It's going to be a weird week. Mm-hmm. So, could happen. But technically speaking, if I guess Split is number one, I could say it's going to make $500 million and oh, I'm still yeah. Right. Well, yeah, if Split is number one, yeah. you win, period. Oh, shit. Okay, now, I, now I'm going to look up Resident Evil projections. Yeah. And that's the thing. I'm very curious as to what the, like... Well, because we, we looked it up before we started yeah. recording that the last movie had made, like, $19 million in its opening weekend. Of what the, like, loyal... I don't know if that's the right word. Like, fan... What's what's the word? Fanhood of it? Because I feel like it's been... We just said it's been in, around for, like, 16 years, which is a long time for a movie series. Oh, well, I probably goofed. Because they're projecting it's going to make about $13 million in its opening weekend. Those projections always are, like, way off, though. I know, I know. It's, it says it's already it's a $40 million budget, and it's already made $35.1 million. Oh, because it came out in Japan, like, a month ago. Oh, because of the video games. Yeah, oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, this is probably super popular in Japan and China. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. cool. I don't think I, I've played Resident Evil, but I never played it like seriously. I'm bad at them. I don't, you know, I'm bad at that shit. I yeah. get pissed off. Turn my controller. Smash the controller. <laughs> Damn it! All right, so we'll see next week who won by the numbers. No, nope. see if we there can, can make be this, only uh, one. Or yeah, there can be only one. There's be. no winner. There's only theaters that lose and by the numbers. But there can be only one. That's right. Winner next week. We'll see if we can there make can it a gentleman's it. match. All right, so when we come back, we're going to do our album of the week, Run the Jewels, their album, Run the Jewels, Trace. And when we come back, we'll review that album. Music from that in the break. You can tell by the stench in the air Blood's on the ground, opportunity is here I'm looking in the space like is anybody there And if Ellie isn't here, please tell me how near Do you come in peace or should everybody fear? I wait your reply with a blunt and a beer I be the high guy with the belly and the beard Folks, signal ET, ATLians here Taking your party, run the jewels live at the garden Welcome back to the new weekly in Rose. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And it's time for album of the week. Ooh, so exciting this one. Week, yep. Run the Jewels, Run the Jewels 3. So the background is Run the Jewels is a hip hop supergroup, technically, 
made up by two members, Killer Mike and LP. They released their first album in 2013 and instantly found commercial and critical acclaim. Their socially and politically charged lyrics, combined with LP's unique hard-hitting production, has made them an undeniable force in the genre. And I believe they were one of the first groups to do kind of that free release, right? Eh, I wouldn't say first. I think Radiohead sort of broke that ground in, with uh, in Rainbows in like 2006. But, I mean... That helped them. Yeah. The, the way they did it is, is, is a little bit more personal, I think. And they've continued to do it. All their albums have been free. Yep. Uh, so the recording and production notes. Run the Jewels 3 continues the tradition uh, for the group of releasing the album as a free download a few weeks prior to its physical release. Its physical release was January 13, 2017. It is notable for how long it took for the album to be recorded between January 2015 and September 2016. It was a long time because I think we talked about it on this podcast, about how they like posted something to Instagram saying, like, oh, we're recording. Well, yeah, because Run the Jewels 2 came out in 2015. And I think this album is notable because I'm pretty sure it's the longest of theirs. This one album is about 51 minutes. <clears throat> and Run the Jewels 2 is only 38 minutes. And their first one was only 32 minutes. So this is by far their longest record. Yeah. So. so Ethan, what did you think of this album? Well, I think I think it's safe to say at this point that if, if we didn't already know, but this album sort of puts it in stone that Run the Jewels is one of the best, if not the best, hip-hop groups in the world right now. And, and they're certainly chiseling themselves a, a pretty amazing legacy at this point in a very sort of off the cuff. They're not grant. There's no grandstanding involved. They're just getting by, by releasing some unbelievably good music. Cause this album continues the tradition of just super hard hitting hip hop. And you know, I think a lot of it has to be credited to LP who produces most of the songs and is also one of the two rappers, but the album is just hits you in the face. It's just like a, punch in the face like repeatedly but like in a good way where you like like it which i can't imagine but it's i mean it's loud it's hypnotic i think this is the first run the jewels album which is weird saying this because i've always felt that with their other two albums that they don't play out well and that when you sit down and listen to a run the jewels album from beginning to end to me i always sort of felt like worn out by the end and even though this album is the longest to me there was the there was more variety there was more variation. There was more uh, different kind of things going on in terms of the production on here. And that's all in addition to the lyrics, which range from, like you said, more politically, socially charged stuff, which is very in your face and very, there's no beating around the bush with anything, um, to sort of more, you know, they can have some of the more traditional hip-hop uh, uh, tropes yeah. <laughs> in there too. But, man, I love this album. I think it's I've been listening to it, like, constantly for, ever since it came out. Yeah, me too. And I, I think for them, they, um, you know, just to kind of basically second everything you said, but they've they've made their kind of brand off of creating their own sound, which is very, very unique in hip hop, because a lot of hip hop tends to kind of flow along the same several different sound lines. And they're very much on their own kind of um, thread. I mean, it's it's sort of like a an offshoot of like dubstep in a way, but it's yeah. all it's very, but it's not it's not that though. It's almost something like from the UK, you know, where they're kind of into this like beat, you know, RPMs per minute, but it's, it's just crazy. And and they, they, the thing is though, is that it's the beats are insane and it's the style of music. It doesn't make you move, but it makes you listen, mm-hmm. which is really crazy. Cause a lot of people are, when they listen to hip hop, they want to kind of dance, but it's like, you have to sit down and be like, what are they saying? What are, mm-hmm. what's going on? What are, what are they doing? 
which is really, I think that's truly, truly unique in the genre right now. I don't think anyone else is really doing that, aside from maybe Kendrick Lamar, maybe. Yeah, but the the reason I think, you know, I don't like this album, to be sure, I don't like this as much as this album, To Pimp a Butterfly, just because I think that's a much more ambitious Mm -hmm. experimental album. But where I think that this sort of stands apart from a lot of other hip hop we're listening to is that you could, if you listen to this, say if you if you had an isolated lyric or an isolated beat version, they would both be like equally entrancing. Like the like you said, the beats and the music in this is so crazy. It's so intense. It's so like electro electronic, and there's like saxophone and like all these elements put into it that it's absolutely crazy. You could just listen to that, but lyrically. I mean, it's super strong. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's super strong. And I think there's one of the things I'm starting to hear a lot is people who love Run the Jewels sort of debate who they think the better lyricist is, Killer Mike or LP, um, because I think Killer Mike has the more, at least the more vocally potent voice. Like he has has more of like a notorious B.I.G. voice, a very deep, throaty, immediate, intense voice. And LP has a lot of the same things, but it's a little bit quieter. It's a little bit more, I guess, contemplative. I guess you're sort of splitting hairs, but they're both so good, like technically. And some of the lines they drop in this, it's just like, it's so, it's amazing to me. Like there's a line in the song, Legend Has It, where I I don't remember, I think it was LP who says something. No, it was Killer Mike who says something about watching Godfather 1 where you get, what does he say, where you grab the gun as I christened my son. And I, every time I listen to it, I'm like, what the hell? It's just, there's just so much, there's so many moments like this on every song that every time you listen to it, you find something else to like. Yeah. Well, I think that's why I kind of struggle with the super group concept because I think they're really two good solo hip hop artists that just got together and were like, hey, we got this good thing going on. And mm-hmm. when they combine their lyrics together, I think that's why people go gaga for them because there's within hip hop groups, there's always like one weak lyricist or two weak lyricists where the verse comes up and it's just kind of like this throwaway and you're like, well, cool. It's a good song with them. It's like constant, uh, this constant trade off between like the two of them. And it's like this thing where it's like quick, 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 quick. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's something that's really captivates people. I remember uh, hearing an interview with uh, with LP, I think, where he was talking about sort of their writing process. Where a lot of they're they're not always touring together um, because they do have solo. I don't know if they've released anything solo since they've gotten together, but I mean, they're not obviously not always, you know, whatever touring and performing together. And they he talked about how they're constantly like emailing each other, like nothing will get recorded or written down until the other person can can see it. And they try to do as much as they can together. Like in the one interview he was talking about how he doesn't, LP doesn't even like to write songs for their albums when they're not together because they're, they just, they're, that vibe isn't there. And I think that really comes through on every song. Cause to me, there's no weak moment on this whole album. Every song is strong. And uh, I was, when I saw how much longer this was than their other albums, I was sort of ready to have a couple of, well, maybe this is the album where they finally drag it out. But no, 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 no. And you can tell that you can tell that that dynamic is there and they really are patient with each other because man, this album took what a year and 9 months to record, but I mean it paid off. Yeah, it seems very well thought out. For sure. All things considered. So do you have favorite songs on here? Yes. Hold on. Okay. I always well, forget the name of songs. That's sure. Well, I'll I'll start then. Um my favorite two songs to start are Talk to Me, which is the second song. And Legend Has It, which is the the third song, um, Talk To Me is really short but really punchy to me. It sort of sets the tone for the album. 
Really love that one. I also love uh, Hey Kids. I think that's a cool one. That one has Danny Brown on it as, as well yep. with the feature, which hearing awesome. his crazy voice rapping over these insane LP beats was sort of like a dream come true. And then I really liked um, Oh Mama and the last song, A Report to the Shareholders slash Kill Your Masters. Uh, really intense finale, really epic song at the end there. Yeah, we were par to par on that. And then Call Tickerton. Oh, yeah. One I like, too. Oh, that's the one where they're, like, live at the garden. Yeah. That one. Oh, dude, that's a great song. Yeah. A lot of, and there's a lot. Of, and that's the thing is we just named off six different songs. And there's 14 on the album. There's 14. But this is a, this is a good album. Listen listen to it cover to cover, too. What's crazy about Run the Jewels, too, is it's so easy for me to take them for granted because I think they're one of those groups that as soon as I hear one of their albums, it just sort of instantly becomes, like, part of my constant repertoire where... I like listened to this album like once or twice when it first came out and I was like, that was amazing. And then I didn't listen to it for like a week and I put it back on again and I'm like, why the hell am I not listening to this all the time? Cause I just, it just feels so instantly familiar and they're so, they're so good together. It seems like impossible that this group has only been around for four years and they already have three like almost perfect al- albums out. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. So what would you rate this though? One to 10. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm always afraid to give it 10. Um, because this didn't quite hit me that hard. I was never sitting there thinking like, this is the best thing ever, but amazing a record. I'm going to give it a nine out of the gate. Um, so if I did if I did have any complaints with this album, it would be that I think they don't, I guess it's not, I feel like, a, I feel like this is a cop-out. I just don't feel like there's really anything super like revolutionary about it. I don't know. I'm, I'm just, af- I guess I'm afraid to give it any higher because I, I want to spend more time with it. There's just that much going on. So what would you rate it? Well, and I'm uh, same same with you. I don't I don't know that I want to give it a ten. So I'm going to give it pretty close at a nine point six, is where I see it. Pretty, mm-hmm. it, it's up there, you know. And it's a genre that I truly love. Right, music that I love. You're like the hip hop guy. Yeah, so I, I, I it's up there. But it, it truly is a, a type of music and a style of music that you have to appreciate mm-hmm. because I don't think you can really rate it that high or understand it. Um, and, and what do what do you think? And let me ask you this: in terms of, um, I mean, do you see them as a band for everyone? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, may, maybe if you're, I think if you're not into hip hop, this isn't where you should start. It's too extreme for that. Mm-hmm. There's much more mainstream stuff. I think that would sort of. I think Kendrick is a good place to start. Overrun the jewels, which is much more sort of in your face. Like to, to me, Kendrick is sort of like the prophet. You know, coming down from the clouds, and to me, run the jewels. It's like the guy who runs up to you and like throws a pamphlet in your face, and he's like, "You're gonna listen to me right now." And then he like throws you onto a truck, and you have to listen to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's kind of <laughs> like that, and it's not something. And we've talked about like death grips. I don't think it's to that. No, 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 extremity no. on the spectrum, but it's kind of it's starting to kind of maybe be able to see that universe. There's a couple of songs here that would be good starts. Yeah, but. Like legend has it would maybe be a good like a good example of this is what like when you're talking about lyrical pr- proficiency for hip hop, this is about as good as it gets. Yeah. But in general, this might scare some people away. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I agree, and it's not for everyone. We re- no. we review a lot of music like that on this show. Mm-hmm. But um, on to our weekly segment obsessions. We talk about our obsessions that we currently have in our life so ethan what are you obsessed about right now well two things one sort of bittersweet sad thing and that is packers football but an amazing season unprecedented it ended very 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 depressingly this last weekend with the nfc championship game it was the equivalent of a truck 
running straight into you over and over again for like three hours, but uh, watched every second of it nonetheless. And uh, it was, uh, you know, no, I never thought they would get that far, but uh, still sad. But I've been thinking about a lot, been watching a lot of recaps and interviews and stuff. So you can't just walk away from your team, you know what I'm saying? Even though it's heartbreaking. But the other thing, this goes back to our sort of uh, talk about the Oscars, is I'm into, you know, movies right now. I'm really spending a lot of time watching movies that are in for Oscars, re-watching some movies. Um, just watching, like, I've been allotting time out to watch this movie tonight. I'm going to watch this movie tomorrow. And, you know, that's kind of been on my mind. I'm probably going to go home tonight and maybe watch something. Yeah, that's what I'm obsessed with. What about you? Well, a lot of the same. I think a lot of the, um, like, movies that were nominated, mm-hmm. I haven't seen a lot of them. Sorry, Which is man. different. No, it's fine. It's not you. It's me. I should have yeah. seen them in the theaters. But um, just to go see them, I think, is a, a big thing for me. That's what I'm obsessed about and I'm thinking about. Because I'm hearing so much about La La Land, so much about Moonlight, so much about Fences. Right. And I haven't seen them, so I can't say, right. like, well, it's I fun. agree with you or I you don't know, agree It's with you. so easy to get swept up. And we've talked about this before, too. It's so easy to get swept up in the, just the negative, cynical view that the Oscar voters only like these movies and that movies. Just throw all that crap into the garbage. They're never going to pick the movies you agree with. It's going to happen rarely, if ever. But it's fun. Like, me and you, it's fun to go and, like, see the movies they picked and have an informed opinion going on. We did our top ten of the movies last year. I don't think hardly anything nominated for Oscars is really good. Whatever wins movie of the year probably isn't going to be either of our number one movie. Mm-hmm. But it's fun to be informed. It's fun to have an opinion instead of being that armchair person who just sort of sits there with their nose in the air saying, well, these aren't the movies I saw. Yeah. That doesn't do anything. Well, I feel too that you like, you, you, you watch the Oscars and like, there's the nomination for best film and the best movie of the year. And you watch it and you're just like, ah, yeah, you know, but I think that result is because you've had so much, you, you heard it was the best movie. You have so such high expectations, and you go into the film, and it's just not what you expect it to be. Whereas if you just saw it beforehand, right. you'd be able to say, well, I'm seeing this film objectively. But even with that, like the movie La La Land right now is getting so much hype and attention that I think most people who see it are going to be disappointed. I was sort of disappointed because of that, because it was so built up as this like instant classic, perfect movie. And while it's great, it's fantastic, it's certainly better than most movies. When you tell me it's the greatest movie ever, eh, I mean, that's a pretty high expectation. So there's sort of a double-edged sword there. But absolutely, I mean, you got to make your own mind up about these. And if you're the kind of person who just is going to hate these movies no matter what, well, just don't watch the Oscars. (laughs) You know, whatever. Yeah. It's fine. Like last year, I was rooting for The Revenant. It didn't win. Spotlight did. I'm happy with it. To be honest, I don't think there's been a movie that's won Best Picture that I've been unhappy with since The King's Speech. The King's Speech won Best Picture. True. Yeah. I thought, again, good movie, not Best Picture worthy in my opinion. Um, that one sort of irritated me, but then we had what? The Artist, Birdman, uh, Spotlight, 12 Years a Slave. Those were all awesome movies. I don't think there's been a, I guess Argo. I wasn't too into that one either, but uh, there hasn't, to me, there hasn't been a dud in a long time. Well, and they're all like good movies, you right. know, and. Some of them are, and there are a few on that list that it's not something you're going to watch on a Saturday night when you're like, yeah, like 12 Years a Slave. Yeah, like 12 Years a Slave. That's going to make you super depressed, but it's an amazing yeah, journey. To me, that, you know? to me, 12 Years a Slave is like essential cinema. Like it's a movie, if you're a movie lover, if you're a history lover, 
it's a must see because it's mm-hmm. such a brilliant movie and it's so well made. But it, yeah, it's it rips your heart out and it's it's hard to watch. But you know, I guess a lot of people don't watch movies to have those feelings, so it's not for everybody. Yeah. But um, you know, and with this group, I, I think Moonlight or La La Land will win. I'm kind of okay with either one. Um, there's really nothing nominated that I would be upset about. But then again, I haven't seen Hidden Figures. I haven't seen Fences. I haven't seen Lion. So maybe I hate one of those. Last time Dev Patel was in a movie that won Best Picture. That's the last movie I truly hated that won Best Picture. Slumdog Millionaire. Hate that movie. No love. Hate it with all my heart. I think it's terrible. I think it's exploitative. I think it's crap. And it won Best Picture. No. And you know what? Lion sort of looks like a remake of it, which is weird. Well, yeah, and, and Slumdog Millionaire is kind of an interesting film because it's like the... I have, a, I have a, such a hard time describing it. It's kind of like they took Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the Indian story, and like all these things, and it's like they meshed it together into this one film. <laughs> and it's like, well, and someone, it and sort of works. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I don't wanna, I'm not going to get political here, but and, and not that my political beliefs really had any impact on it because that's not the case, but I felt like so much of what that movie stood for was sort of about like it was set in 2008 when Barack Obama got elected and I think a lot of what he was running for and what the movie was about coincided again I don't think that's a bad thing at all I'm not making that kind of judgment call I just think that people got kind of caught up in that and didn't actually look at the movie objectively because I just do not think that the movie is that great I really don't I'm all for the hope and the positivity I think that message is fantastic but when you, I, to me, it was it was just limited. I thought it was a, a poor choice, and it won like eight Oscars. A lot. It won yeah. eight Oscars, and you know how many movies Stanley Kubrick won in his whole career? Like six. And that one movie won eight. Please, I have a big chip in my shoulder about that movie. Well, yeah, and it's kind of like an entertainment piece. Like for me, I watch it to be entertained. Like it's an entertaining film. It's a wonder. I think it's a wonderful story. You cannot deny it's a wonderful, like a pretty decent storyline. Cliche, line. overly sentimental, melodramatic, predictable. Ugh, not for. I thought. I think if that movie surprised you in any way, you're a sap. That's true. <laughs> I don't think it's Oscar. Again, it's not Oscar worthy to me. But I'm the weird guy who wanted the Curious Case of Benjamin Button to win that year, which most people say is like one of the most overrated movies. So what do I know? <laughs> I didn't mean Shut to bring up, that, that whole. Yeah. No. Yeah, Greg. I don't think he listens, but <laughs> no. But uh, I, the whole politic thing. I'm again. I'm not making like a an actual judgment on the the political message. I just think that there's always a big political message with the Oscars every year, and that movie to me had so many correlations to sort of the underdog winning and sort of the 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 you know the person who nobody thought would succeed coming out ahead and being the number one. I just for me. I was so dis. It was sort of like La La Land, where everybody said it was the best movie ever. And when I first saw it, I was like, "Are you joking me?" It's just like this sentimental fluff movie that has. Ugh, I just hated it. I really hated it. I, I watched it like five times too, trying to like it. La but, La Land or no 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 Some Dog Millionaire because oh. now people are going to say, "Oh, but you're racist and you hate Obama." None of that's true. <laughs> so just drop that. Nunca. What? All right, that's none in like Russian. No relation to anything we were talking about. <laughs> it made sense to me. I All like right. it. I'm one quarter Russian. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. I, I love Russian people. Thanks, man. <laughs> so we're doing a podcast probably, man. That <laughs> really? Totally that's makes it? sense. No. So this has been the personality episode. Yeah. Good one. 
next week. Who knows what the movie? Some would be. say this episode had a lot of personality. It did. It's unique. Mm-hmm. I think it deserves a participation trophy. Yeah. What do we want to do next week? Hmm. I guess we'll talk about it and figure it out. We could do some Oscar movies. Yeah. I think Moonlight would be a fun one to talk about. But we can figure that out later. We have to get the the it's film, being, man. It's being re-released in theaters this weekend. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we could do that. We'll see. All right. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll check it out. Because I'm not sure I want to go see Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like one of those... Like get wasted and watch on a Saturday. Watch it, watch it you're in your home. Yeah. With home beers versus bar beers. I don't. I've never had a beer at the theater, so I still haven't either. Yeah. I haven't, haven't hit I that just up. Don't, I never want to drink anything during movies because I have to pee all the time. Well, and it's stadium pricing. Oh, I've never even looked at the pricing. I would assume it's ridiculous. Well, it's not. I think it was like five five dollars and fifty cents a a pint. Basically, that so bad. It's not like super bad. It's like a bar regular bar price. Unless you're going to some like hipster. It's giving, 50 cents, you're, man. You're giving me a death look right now. Like, don't you dare talk to Don't you dare. No. This has been a fun episode. Personality episode. Next week, we'll let you know. Mm-hmm. We'll throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Weekly Neuros. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. Everyone, please take care. Obama's cool. I didn't mean to slide him. He's a super cool guy. Take care. Please. Be smart. <laughs>